invite you to stand together as we share in the reading of God's Word this morning, looking at Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, and we provided an outline for your use this morning, and hope that that will be helpful for you. Let's join together as we read. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, we come this morning to the conclusion of our series of messages on the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. You know, there's no way that we could overstate the impact that those appearances must have made on those early disciples. I mean, after all, they'd seen Jesus die on a cross, they'd seen him buried, and now they see him walk out of the tomb, but also, on numerous occasions, following Easter morning, he shows up. And I'm convinced that those appearances, maybe more than anything else, are, are the things that motivated them, that gave them courage, that served as a catalyst, that empowered them to go and take on the entire world with, with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been looking at those appearances. <clears throat> We've seen how Jesus was walking with the two men on their way back to the town of Emmaus late Easter day. We've seen how Jesus showed up not once but twice behind locked doors as the disciples were were hunkering down. We've seen how Jesus showed up on the shore of the lake while they were out fishing and how they shared breakfast together and how Jesus then had that one-on-one conversation with Simon Peter that needed to be had. This morning we come to uh, what I believe may well be the most important appearance of all. Jesus, through Mary, has told the disciples to go to Galilee to a particular location, a particular mountain, and that he would join them there later. So they've made their way. They're at the designated spot. They're walking up the side of this mountain, and they've got to be thinking, what's going to happen? Is he going to be here? Is he going to show up? What's he going to say? What's he going to do? And so they they get settled in, and all of a sudden, there he is. Jesus shows up. And what do they do? They worship. They laugh. They cry. They doubt. They believe. All of the above, I'm pretty sure. I think we would have too. And once Jesus has their full and undivided attention, he begins the conversation like this. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, that's extremely important. He wants the disciples to know that what he is about to say, what they're about to hear, are directly words from God himself. You see, he has been 
appointed the authority. He has demonstrated because of his death and now his resurrection that he indeed is the Son of God. He and the Father are one. Everything he taught them over the last three years was true. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And when you, what, the, what I'm about to speak are the words of God himself. And, and then he says something like this. Here's what I want you to do with the rest of your life. Now, he doesn't say, here's what I'm asking you to do. He doesn't say, this is what I hope you will do. He's saying, this is what I am instructing you to do. You see, that's why we call this appearance the Great Commission. What is a commission? A commission is described this way. It is an authoritative order, charge, or direction. He has the authority. He's about to give them the order. And it's in these words that come next that we see the purpose of this particular appearance. You know, we've been saying that every one of the appearances has a unique purpose in mind. And we're about to see the purpose of this one. He says to them, we don't want that to happen. (laughs) He says to them, Go therefore and make disciples. That's it. That's the purpose. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And everything else that he is going to say spells out what that involves and what that means. And what we need to hear loud and clear is that making disciples of Jesus Christ was then and is now the, underscore, the reason the church exists. Why was this church founded in 1828? It wasn't so that a group of Christians could hang out with one another. It was so that that group of people could make disciples of Jesus Christ. What is the purpose of this church today? It's to make disciples. And so if that is true, what I want to do this morning is to think about what's involved with that and perhaps more importantly, ask ourselves how well are we doing at our primary task. Some time ago, a pharmacist overheard this conversation this was back in the old days where they had the pay phones hanging on the wall, and a little 12-year-old boy walked into the drugstore, went over to the phone, dialed the number, and the pharmacist overheard this conversation. Mrs. Jones, do you have a yard boy? You do. Well, are you happy with him? 
You are. All right, well, thanks anyway. Goodbye. And the pharmacist looked at the boy and said, Son, I'm sorry I couldn't help but listen in. I'm sorry you didn't get the job. He said, Listen, mister, I got the job all right. I was just checking up on myself. Sometimes it's important for the church to do that, to check up on ourselves, to see how well we're doing at our primary task of making disciples. So what's involved in making disciples? Look what Jesus said next. First of all, it has to do with this. It's about baptizing persons into into the, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Making disciples means going, finding people who don't know God, finding people who are not in relationship with Jesus Christ, who are living outside an understanding of what it means to live the abundant life in Christ, finding those folks, inviting them, cultivating them, bringing them into the body of faith, the community of faith we call church, and baptizing them into the fellowship where they can be nurtured. And that's the reference to baptism. What is the church? The church is the gathered colony of baptized believers. And so the reference here is that our primary task is making disciples, and the first thing that means is that we go and we find people who don't know Christ, who don't know God, that we invite them, we be in relationships with them, we bring them back, we, we lead them to Christ, and we baptize them into the fellowship of the church. Now, if that's what making disciples means, how well are we doing that? A minute ago, we had an opportunity to baptize a precious little baby girl. We baptize a lot of children in the church, and that's one of the ways that of making disciples is that we, we baptize these children with the hope and the expectation that uh, over the years, we're going to do a good job of cultivating and and to nurturing that child in his or her faith. Sometimes we have confirmation. Once a year we have confirmation class, and we have a, maybe 30 or 40 kids, and some of them will be baptized. But those are folks that we could say are kind of already in the fold. They're already part of us. But when it comes to going and finding people who don't know Christ and bringing them in and baptizing them into the faith. How well are we doing at that? It's been said that part of a pastor's role is to comfort the afflicted but also to afflict the comfortable. And unfortunately, I've got to afflict the comfortable this morning. When it comes to baptizing people, how many baptisms of adults, non-believers, do you think we had in 2014? Zero. How many persons did we go and win to Christ and baptize into the faith in 2015? Zero. When it comes to making disciples, if it means going and finding persons and bringing them to faith in Christ and baptizing them into the church, we are not doing that effectively at all. And I hope none of us feel good about that. But trust me, I'm not just singling out this church. I could stand in most of our churches and I could say the exact same thing. And the sad reality is that for a lot of our churches, the great commission of Jesus has become the great omission of the church. 
And rather than going out and finding people, we have become, rather than being fishers of men, we become keepers of the aquarium. Much more inclined to take care of ourselves and engage and share our lives together, as wonderful and as important and as meaningful as that is. But we've neglected the responsibility, our primary task, of going and finding people and making disciples. Now, why is that? There are a lot of reasons, but uh, one has to do with our understanding of, of our responsibility. I've had people say to me, Stuart, those people, and I think essentially it always starts out with those people, those people, they know where the church is. They know what time we have worship services. If they want to come, they'll come. But I don't think it's my responsibility to go out and find them and invite them and bring them here. Well, I couldn't disagree more. That's exactly what Jesus said was the most important reason that we exist. You know, that's kind of like, that attitude is kind of like going fishing. And once you're out in the middle of the boat, in the middle of the lake, you put a sign up on your boat saying, All fish welcome. Jump in. You're not going to catch many fish that way. And in this day and age, if a church thinks all it's got to do is open the doors of the church and say, Y'all come, it's not going to happen. We are sent out to make disciples. Ken Callahan, a longtime church consultant, has described what he calls Bo Peep churches. You know that nursery rhyme? Little Bo Peep has lost her sheep and doesn't know where to find them. But leave them alone. They'll come home wagging their tails behind them. And he says that's the way a lot of churches want to do ministry today. When it comes to the sheep of God that are not yet in the fold, leave them alone. They'll come home wagging their tails behind them. But they won't because most of them don't even know that they have a home in God's house. Listen, folks, the need is great, and sometimes I don't think we fully grasp how desperate the need is. Let me do a little quiz. What percentage of people in Coweta County do you believe affirm having some type of religious affiliation? Now, it doesn't mean they, they're active, doesn't mean they go to church, but what percentage of people in Coweta County do you believe say that they have some form of religious affiliation? What do you think? Let me just hear some some. 20%? Who else? 80? We're getting a whole spectrum here. That's good. Here's what the study shows. 46% of the folks in Coweta County say they have some religious affiliation or belief. Now that means that 54% over half of the people in this county have no religious life, have no spiritual commitments, have no desire to be a part of God's church or any religious faith at all. 
Over half. Now, what, what does that mean about for the church? That means we're not doing a very good job at what is supposed to be our primary task according to Jesus. It also means that we have a tremendous opportunity before us and so much work to be done. So that, that's the first thing. Making disciples means going, finding people, bringing them into relationship with Christ, and baptizing them into the fellowship of the body of Christ, the church. That's the first thing. But, but Jesus then goes on to say something else that constitutes making disciples, and it's this. It involves teaching them what it means to live as a follower of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 20. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded You see, making disciples means leading people to Christ, but it also means taking them, then nurturing them, teaching them, growing them in their understanding of the gospel and helping them understand what it means to live as a devoted follower of Jesus. Teaching. Now, let me give you a little bit of good news. I think we do a really good job in this particular area of, of, of teaching folks about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We do a lot of teaching. We teach ourselves about God. We teach about the Bible. We teach about church history. We teach about the importance of caring for others. We have a great, great track record in this church of caring for people, engaging in mission, uh, giving for the sake of the poor and the suffering. We do a fantastic job. We are teaching one another what it means to love God, to be a part of God's church, and to love others in acts of service and compassion. But there's one area that, for whatever reason, we're not teaching very effectively. And it explains why we aren't seeing more people brought to Christ. You see, we fail to effectively teach disciples that the single most important thing and responsibility they have is to make another disciple who will make another disciple who will make another disciple. You see, that's the most important responsibility that, that we have. And for some reason, we haven't we hadn't grasped that. Or if we have, we're not in, engaging in it very effectively. It's a known fact that when it comes to church growth, people bring people to Christ and the church. It's a proven fact that the most important, the most influential people in, in, in encouraging and convincing folks to attend a worship service or any activity of the church is not the pastor or the pastoral staff. It's the laity. People bring people to Christ and the church. You see, you know, I, I grieve every day that we're not more effective at making making disciples and winning people to Christ, and yet 
what I can do as one pastor or even three pastors collectively, we have nowhere near the influence and the capacity for outreach as the congregation because you guys, there are hundreds of you out there every day in schools and offices. Uh, The the opportunity that, that, that you have simply by your number and your relationships with others can do far more than I could ever hope to do or any of the staff could hope to do in terms of inviting and welcoming and nurturing people into the life of the church. People bring people, but unfortunately we don't, we don't do that very well. And so again, the great commission of Jesus has become the great omission of the church and more and more people live their lives apart from ever knowing God. I want to share something with you that If we care anything about the church, if we care anything about our Lord Jesus Christ, this next observation ought to break our hearts and send every one of us to our knees. Thirty-five years ago, the population of Coweta County was 38,000 people. Today, the population of Coweta County is 138,000 people. In spite of that astronomical growth, you know what? Our average worship attendance in this church is pretty much right where it was 35 years ago. And actually, were it not for the fact that now we're calculating a third worship service, we'd probably be about or maybe a little under what our attendance was when we had 38,000 folks instead of 138,000. I hope there's no way that any of us can twist that to feel good about it. It can only mean one thing. That we need to to do a better job of understanding and applying and living out what Jesus says is, is really the reason we exist. And that is to make disciples. I want to challenge you to do something this morning. You know, a lot of times a pastor will challenge you to go to somebody you know who's not a believer and invite them to a worship service. That's a great challenge, but a lot of times most of us are not going to heed that because we say, well, those folks, they're not religious people. There's no way they'd come to a worship service, no matter if I told them I'd pick them up and bring them. So so here's the challenge. We're going to make it a little bit easier. I would like for us to think about other people you know in your community, in your school, at your office, who, who aren't involved in, in the church, or they're not uh, believers. Would you be willing to invite them to just any, any function or event of this church? Doesn't have to be a worship service, if that's, you know, too much. Just invite them to anything. You know what that might do? That, that might open a door 
establish a relationship with those people. And once a relationship is formed, they may decide they want to come to other events, other activities. They might eventually want to say, hey, let's go to the worship of that church. And it may well be that the Holy Spirit could take over and use a simple invitation that you extended to invite somebody to some function of this church. And it could very well be the the stimulus to great things ahead. Amen. Thank you, doctor. I appreciate that. That's not a plant, by the way. God bless you. God bless you. The world desperately needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. The world desperately needs um, the truth of God. The world desperately needs what the church has to offer. And if the church is not going to be the one that will, will make disciples, then who in the world is? It's our task. It's our responsibility. It's our privilege. Can we so devote our lives to Jesus Christ? And can we so devote our lives to the ministry of His church that a year from now a pastor won't have to say yet again in 2016 we didn't baptize a single new believer into God's family. Let's pray together. God, we love you and we love your church. And God, it's, it's that love for you and it's that love for your church that the logical next step would be that we want others to know of that blessing and experience it as well. And so we just pray, oh God, that you will empower and equip us to, with greater boldness and effectiveness Extend an invitation to people to come to experience your grace, your truth, your love. And God, we just thank you that we have the opportunity. It's a holy privilege of sharing in the work of winning the world for Jesus Christ. And there's no greater joy, there's no greater honor that we'll ever receive than being able to stand one day with you and be able to point to that brother or that sister that we had a a hand in helping nurture and bring them to faith. Lord, may it be so. In the name and spirit of Christ we pray. Amen.